It was just hours before the cross. Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, and he was sharing some final thoughts with them. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. In fact, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I'm going, you know, and, and the way, you know. And Thomas said to him and said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. So, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. We're in the third week of a series that we entitled, I Am. The first week we talked about when Jesus said those words, Thomas, I am. It was so much bigger than simply him saying he was three different facets, the way, the truth, and the life. In saying I am, he was saying I am God. He was referencing back to, to when God was calling Moses to lead out the children of Israel. And Moses said, who shall I say has sent me? And God said, you tell them that I am that I am has sent you. Tell them I am. And later Jesus Christ, to make things perfectly clear, said, even before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus was saying that he is more than just a good teacher, more than a prophet, more than just another rabbi, a passing rabbi. He was God in the flesh. He was Emmanuel. And to reference that point, we went to Mark chapter 6 when the disciples were in a great storm in the midst of a boat, a boat in the midst of a great storm. And Jesus comes walking on the water. He says several things to them. He says, first off, be a good cheer. I know you think this is bad. I know you think that your life is about over. The wind's about to take you. But he says, be a good cheer. And the reason he said be a good cheer is because I am. A little translation of the Greek. He really said, in our English language, he said, it is I. But it translates in the Greek, I am. And I said that day when God shows up in the midst of your storm, the storm is over. We do not have to fear because I am has shown up in this world. We don't have to face fear what tomorrow might bring because our I am is here. And so he said, don't be afraid. You don't have to fear. Then last week we looked at I am the way. I am the way. God chose to use Matt Winkleman to share this great truth with you. As we continue the thought, as I listen on the radio, he continued the thought of, I am shows up. And it's amazing, when I am shows up, things just change. As we sat around that bed in Africa that night, that Tuesday night, everything in my being said, there is no way. A little girl has fallen on her head on hard ground from 20 feet. There is no way. But I am, I am said, I'll make a way. And he did. That little girl today is walking around in Africa. 
Because I am showed up. And it's just not over. It's not over. And God wants to show up where you are right now with your brokenness. And you look around you see, I don't see any way. There's no way. And I am wants to show up and say, I am the way. And then he went on and said this week, I am not only the way, I am truth. Truth is reality. Truth is factual. Truth is a noun in our English language, but to us today, the word proclaims that truth is a person. If you'll take your Bibles and look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7 today, we want to look at truth in prayer and truth in passion and truth in path. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let me read something Jesus said right after he said, let not your heart be troubled. He said this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name. Truth as a person. Whatever you ask In my name, that I will do. And about that time you say, Dwayne, that's what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for asking in Jesus' name and whatever I ask, that's what he will do for me. But not until you finish the rest of the sentence, the, the verse, because it goes on and says this. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, when we ask in Jesus' name, when we ask in I am's name, when we bring truth into prayer, then there's a specific purpose in mind. And that is to bring glory to the Father and to the Son. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1, here's what he says. First of all, First of all, and that means priority. I mean, it's just what it sounds like in the English language. First of all, number one priority. See, God never intended prayer, truth in prayer, to be a last resort. He intended prayer to be a first line of offense and a first line of defense. Prayer is not to to make God. Like, if I pray enough, if I get enough people praying, that I can make God do something. Prayer prayer is not changing God. Getting somehow wrestling God to the ground to get Him to change His mind. No. Prayer changes us. And brings glory to God. If you can ever nail that down in your prayer life, it will so dramatically change. When you put truth in prayer, when you put the power of Jesus' name, when you put the great I am in your prayer life under the concept that, God, I'm asking you to change me, and then whatever way you choose to bring glory to your name, it radically changes your prayer life. That's what happened in Africa. That little girl, we were getting ready for a party. The dad, the uncle carries the little girl up unconscious and it changed everything instantly. 
But I want you to understand something. That what happened that Tuesday night in Africa was not about that little girl. It was about God receiving the glory. It was not about two doctors who happened to be, in quotes, in the village that night. It was not even about a team of five who got to witness something simply supernatural. It wasn't about five others, young men, witnessing something supernatural. It was about God receiving glory. And God could have chosen to receive glory through the passing of that little girl. Or he could receive glory by saving that little girl. And that night... To magnify his name. To bring glory to his name. So that the story could be long repeated after, after the white guys, the two bobs, had gone home. The, the story of God is still being repeated in that village. And will be repeated from time to go. And surely, surely in the future, someone will say to the little girl who will come to perhaps grow and be a woman. Say, tell us the story about the night. That God worked. And her limited understanding, or perhaps full understanding by then, she will tell them how God worked and brought glory to His name and that she lived instead of dying. That's what July of 2007 was all about. We went over to Africa, five of us, again, five men. Went to a place in the dry season. Well, there was no rain. And we had agreed as a church informally to pray for rain while we were there. And our first day there, we shared with, with the folks that we had come and we had asked God to send rain. And we went to bed that night. Dry. And a wind began to blow. Clouds gathered. And God opened up the windows of heaven. And over three inches of rain fell in the middle of the desert. And Dave Winkleman danced in the rain to the glory of God the Father. But it wasn't about the desert. It wasn't about the people needing rain it's about God bringing glory to His name through the rain. And God wants you to hear today that He will work in our prayers. When truth in prayer shows up, when the great I Am shows up in our prayer, and we agree, God, change us, and God, bring glory to Your name. Amazing things happen. Sometimes, like we expect... And sometimes, like we don't. So, Paul said, of first priority, first of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, don't get hung up on Paul's use of the words here when he says supplications and prayers and intercessions. He's simply saying this, you need to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. For all people. The one thing that seems to be so different is this. Listen. It's the word thanksgiving. 
Paul says you need to pray all. Some, you know, sometimes just pray and stay. So sometimes we're in our prayer closets at home and God invites us into his presence. He says, why don't you stay a little while? If we may linger 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes in prayer, just basking in the presence of God. Sometimes he says, pray and stay. Sometimes it's pack and go. Pray and go. We're driving down the interstate and God speaks to our hearts and we just utter someone's name in prayer. God, I lift up this person and I lift up this situation. All kinds of prayer. But the common element is with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving indicates a trust. God, it may be that we live. It may be that we die. It may be that I get the job or I don't get the job. It may be this happens or it doesn't happen. But God, in all things, because I want you to receive the glory, I give thanks to you. Whether I'm well or sick. Whether the job comes or goes. Whether she lives or whether she dies. God, to you. All the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. Thanksgiving. And there's something, it's it's buried almost. I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Oh, if I could encourage you to learn something important about prayer today, it would be this. Learn to pray for people. And not about people. Learn to pray for people. And not about people. You know, so often I find myself wanting to give God a medical report. Hi, God, this is Dwayne. And in case you didn't know, so-and-so is having a gallbladder surgery today. And it's a little bit complicated because the person is a little bit overweight. And they're not sure they do it laparoscopically. And so we're hoping for laparoscopic. But if not, would you be the incision that all goes well? And God goes, slow down, would you? I'm taking notes. And some time ago, I figured out God doesn't need a medical report. He already knows. And then I have a tendency sometimes when I pray to tell God all about people. And he kind of wants to say, time out, T. I'm the creator. I made that person. I know how they're wired. You don't need to tell me about them. Just lift them up. To me. Oh, husbands and wives, quit praying about your husband or wife and pray for your husband and wife. And parents, quit praying about your children and start praying for your children. And quit praying about our country and pray for our country. And start praying about the world and ask God prayer for the world. And there's a radical difference. Because when we pray about something, we're saying, God, I want you to do this because I want it done. And when we pray for, we're saying, God, change me and get to God the glory. God, you get the glory for it. Now, they have to give us an example. When, when Paul says, pray for all people, he goes on and says this. For kings and all who are in high positions. Now, now, please understand, don't, don't make the mistake of narrowing this down. Don't think that this whole passage of Scripture is about praying for President Obama and, and Governor Quinn and, and the new mayor. It's not about that. That's, this is an example. For example, he says, pray for kings. And what makes this so significant, praying for kings and not about kings, 
is this. Does anybody know who the king was? Perhaps who the Caesar was? During this time, when Paul is writing to this young pastor named Timothy in Ephesus, do you know who he was? It was Nero. Nero was the guy when Rome burned to get the attention off of himself, he blamed it on the Christians. It was during Nero's reign that the fire, no pun intended, really got turned up. It's your Nero's reign where they take Christians and tie them to poles and coat them in oil and set them on fire down lanes, lighting streets with burning Christians. It was your Nero's reign that the lion thing, where Christians were cast into lion dens, really took off. It's during that, and Paul doesn't say, pray about those kings. He said, pray for those kings. In fact... It was during Nero's reign that Peter was martyred and Paul was martyred. The man who would later die at the hand of Nero says, pray for your kings. Now tell me you can't pray for your husband. Tell me you can't pray for your boss. Tell me you can't pray for your neighbor. When Paul encourages these young Christians, these believers, to pray for the very king that was murdering so many of those. And you know why? Watch. First of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayer and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may leave a peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified life in every way. Oh, oh, Dwayne, so he said we should pray for them so life will be easy. Don't, don't even think it. Under Nero, the, the spread of the gospel is being suppressed. And Paul is saying, pray for your leaders so that we once again will have the freedom to share the gospel. He was praying this prayer for the sake of the gospel because it's the gospel that mattered. Listen, we need to pray for President Obama and Governor Quinn and every other leader who wants to say, not so our life will be easier, but so that they might see godly examples in believers and that this country will once again turn back to God. And as, as we lead these quiet and godly and dignified lives, it grabs the attention of the world. When, when, when we are spitefully used and we don't respond in spite, it grabs the attention of the world. When, when, we are, when we are slandered and we want to respond with slander, it grabs the attention of the world. And that's what it's all about. Because we see that in the passion, truth and passion. Because Paul says, this is good. Well, what's good? It is good that we pray for all men. It is good that we pray for our kings. It is good that we pray that we might live a quiet and dignified life with all godliness. This is good. Now, surely some in Ephesus were saying, I don't think we ought to pray about everybody. Come on, getting saved. Some people say, and then the move, the Calvinistic movement says, oh, I don't think we ought to pray everybody gets saved. But Paul nails it down. 
He says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Who desires all people say all people. Is that African-Americans? Is that Caucasians? Is that Hispanic? Is that is that Oriental folks? Yes, it is that all people who need to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's passion, it is God's desire that all people be saved. Let me ask you a question. I know it's hypothetical, but let me ask you a question. If God had a to-do list, what would it look like? What would it look like? If, if God had a to-do list, Tim, what would it look like? How long would it be? How short would it be? In our vision, it would be something like this. One, give Dwayne the promotion he needs. Two, make sure his kids get scholarships. Three, world peace. Four, um, pray that the economy will turn around. Five, get gas below $3 a gallon. Isn't that kind of what we think God's to do this would look like? What would it look like? If you use the scripture as the basis for God's to-do list, that all people might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, his to-do list would look something like this. Number one, bring glory to my name. Bring glory to my name. Brother Matt mentioned it last week as I was at home listening on the radio. The little girl was all about bringing glory to God's name. God's about the business of bringing attention, glory to his name. Number one. Number two. Bring all men who are willing into relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. That's what we see in verse number four. Bring glory to my name. And two. That all men may come into relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. End of list. That is what God is about in this world. It's what he was about from the get-go. And as long as he turns, he goes, which is forever. It will always be what God is about. God's about bringing glory to his name and bringing people to himself. If that is true. What should our to-do list look like? As a corporate body of Jesus Christ called the Doorsville Baptist Church, what would our to-do list look like? You guessed it. Number one, bring glory to His name. Come on, people. Bring glory to His name. Number two, as God leads, as God provides, as God gives us talent, ability, and opportunity, bring all people into relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. End of list. End of list. It's not, I want this out of my church, and this out of my church, and this out of my church. I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. No, no, no. Our to-do list should match the to-do list of God to bring glory to our Heavenly Father and to bring men and women and children into a saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. He said He's not willing that any should repent it, that all should come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish, but all 
come to repentance. That's what the youth program's about. That's what the worship program's about. That's what the pulpit ministry's about. That's what back to school's about. That's what the mercy corner's about. That's what it's all about. If we had the same to-do list. Now, I'm going to make a really bold statement. I think it fits the 21st century church, particularly in America. The church who has the same to-do list as God has God's favor. And the church that doesn't, doesn't. Now, I share with the Sunday school class, that doesn't mean there aren't large, successful churches. And I promise you, those two things may be on this somewhere, but it's not number one or two or 15 or 20. And yet they're growing big buildings and they got big budgets and big personalities and big crowds. That's possible in America because of a thing called the almighty dollar. You can buy just about anything in America. You can buy big buildings. You can buy big ministries and you can buy big crowds, but you cannot buy God. You cannot buy God. The church that chooses to glorify him and bring people in his kingdom have the favor of God. To bring people unto the truth. The truth. That all men may know the truth. Look what he says. What is this truth? For there, in verse number four, five and six, for there is one God. There's one true God. There are many false gods, even in this world today. Surely in the time of Rome, there was a, a pathalon of gods. But surely in America, there's a pathalon of gods. But there's one true God. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is Omnipresent. He is not bound by time and he is not bound by space. Nothing ever just occurs to him. Oh, I didn't know that. You caught me off guard. I didn't know. I, that circumstance, I just didn't see it coming. Because he's all knowing, he's all powerful, he's all present, he's not bound by time or space. But there's something you need to know. He is holy. He is holy means separate. He is separate. He is without darkness. He's without lie. He, he's without sin in any form close to him. He is the shining, most bright, shining light you can imagine of purity. He is holy. And we are not. And even though there's this God with all the power and all the knowledge and all the presence and not bound by time or space and nothing just occurs to him. In our natural state, we are separated from him by our sin. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not one righteous. No, not one. There is a God. But we are separated from him. In fact, in our unregenerated state, as we are naturally born, we are objects of God's wrath. But God loved us. Isn't that a contradiction? Objects of his wrath. And yet he loved us enough to do something about it. And Paul said, There is one God, 
and one mediator between God and man. There's one intercessor between God and man. The the word mediator carries the idea of covenant signer, gap bridger, the bringing together. God said, I am holy and you are not. And he made a way through his son who said, I am the way, the truth and the life that holy God and unholy man could be brought together because Jesus died for our sins and our sins are forgiving, making us holy in the sight of God. Say, I am holy. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you truly met the great I am, you are holy in God. Not because you go to church or you write your tithe check or you consider a good person. You are holy because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness put on your account. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And if you're a believer today, that's what happened. His righteousness was put on your account. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. The great I am, the man Christ Jesus. Watch this. Who gave himself, not murdered, not even martyred. Jesus himself said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to pick it up again. Yes, I'll lay my life down on the cross, but I want you to understand something. Three days later, I'm going to pick it back up, proving that I am God. I am God. Oh, so much more than a religious leader, so much more than a religious figure. It was God in the flesh, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He paid the price. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you be pushed back a little bit and say, but Dwayne, I believe in God. Somewhere beyond that. Because James wrote and said that even the devils believe in God and tremble. It's not a belief, a head knowledge in God. It's a surrender. It's a commitment. It's a belief that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and that he died for our sins, that he was buried and that he resurrected the third day to prove he was God. And they just send it back to the Father today. Make an intercession for us. And bless God one day coming back. If I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you that where I am, that there you may be also. One mediator who gave himself a ransom for all. And I love this last phrase, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In Galatians, Paul wrote and said, in the fullness of time, when the time was right, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. And today, the time is right for you. Today, that one mediator wants to come into your situation. He wants to shine light down into your darkness. He wants to put his blood on your sin.
that you can have appeasement with God. That you can come in relationship with God the Father. That the gap can be erased. That holy God and you can come together in relationship for all eternity. Over in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2, Paul said this. In a favorable time, I, God, listen to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Let me read again. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's for you. Today, if you are here and you have never come to relationship with God through the way, not the good works way, not the Baptist way, not the Catholic way, not the Elks way, the way, Jesus Christ. Today, we want to give you that opportunity. For me, it was 36 years ago. For some of you, it was about three weeks ago. But so many in this room today met Jesus Christ and we've never been the same. There's no magic formula. There's no magic prayer. And again, I always can't give the story of Matthew when Jesus walked up to the tax collector to Matthew and said, hey, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. But I think it'd be wise to let you know that first off, we've got to admit you've sinned. You've got to come to the grip that you have sinned against holy God. And that's a really big problem. I don't care if it's one sin or a zillion sins. I don't care if it's a itty bitty little sin or a great big sin in your eyes. Sin separates us from holy God. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. That he died a sacrificial death for us. That they buried him and that he resurrected on the third day. And lives today to make intercession for us. And I believe there's a commitment involved. Jesus is not a fire escape. Jesus refuses to be a fire escape. If your concept and your thought is, I'll pray a prayer and go live like I want to. Let me save your time and embarrassment in coming forward. Because Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It is a lifetime commitment of surrender to Jesus Christ as your king and as your Lord. Why do I have to be perfect? Didn't say that. But you are already making a commitment to a new king. And that king is Jesus Christ. I like to do it this way, I think. I'm going to have a word of prayer in just a moment. And Brother Brent's going to be standing down front. And I want to give you that opportunity. It's a decision time. We want to give you the opportunity to come down and take Brent by the hand and say, Okay, Brent, I want to know about this. Now, I've got some friends here who will take the Word of God and re-explain, if necessary, what I've talked about today. And then if you, by faith, will state your belief in Jesus Christ, that He's the Son of God, that He died, they resurrected, He died for your sins. If you express your willingness and commitment to Him, for the rest of your life. You can leave here different than when you came in. And you'll never be the same again. You don't need religion. You don't need a church membership. You need to be reborn. And Jesus Christ makes that possible. I hope you're willing today to make that commitment. Would you bow your heads right there where you are?
I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The last thing I want to do is make a badness out of you. The last thing I want to do is make a church member out of you. But I'm telling you, if I could introduce you to my best friend today, and his name is Jesus Christ, the one who defeated death, the one who walks with me through the darkest valleys of my life, the one who made it possible for me and God that I could call him Father, and he calls me Son, I want that for you more than anything. I just feel led to lead us in a prayer. And there is no magic words. But maybe I could help you today. I don't I've never talk to God. Well, let me lead us in a prayer, knowing there's no magic words, but if that's your heart's desire, I want to be able to call God Father. I want to make this commitment you've talked about, Dwayne. I'm tired of the way things have been going. I've made a mess of my life. Then would you pray after me? Out loud or quietly? But remember this, you're talking to God. And remember, the sincerity of your prayer is the sincerity of your heart. The sincerity of your prayer must be the sincerity of your heart. If you want to pray today, would you join me? God, Father, I acknowledge today I have sinned against you. I've done things that just are wrong. But today, today I believe that Jesus is your son. And today I believe that he died for me. And I believe he was buried. And today I believe he resurrected and became alive again on the third day. Today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sin. And I choose to follow you. Today, I'm willing to deny myself. And take up your cross and follow you. I want you to be my king. I believe this is truth. And I pray in faith. Jesus, I ask it in your name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. Today, if you prayed that prayer and you meant with your heart, I'm going to ask you, no one looking but me, if you just raise your hand and say, Brother Dwayne, I prayed that prayer today. Amen. God bless you. 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 Others, yes, God bless you back here. Any others? Dwayne, today I prayed that prayer. Amen. God bless each one of you. Today, as you prayed that prayer, an amazing thing happened. God became your father, and you've made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Now, we would love to celebrate with you. Today, Brent's going to be standing down in front. If you prayed that prayer, we would love for you to come and say, Hey, Brent, I prayed that prayer. Because we want to clap and applaud, as the angels of heaven do, that you today became a child of God. Afterwards, I'll be hanging around the door. Dave and Brent will be hanging around. Grab one of us and say, Today, I made that commitment. Today, I prayed that prayer. Today, I chose to follow Jesus. We want to celebrate with you. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I praise you and I thank you for the decisions that were just made, Father, for your kingdom. I thank you for every one of them. 
And Father, I want to pray now that, God, as they begin this new journey with you, that, Father, that if you choose to allow them to be a part of our family here, that we'll help them walk with you. Father, as new babes in Jesus, help us to be a good, strong support group for them as a church family. Jesus, thank you for being a ransom that paid it all. Thank you that by your death and resurrection that we can have forgiveness of sins. Thank you for these ones who made that commitment today. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.